Let's do a short challenge in the Word. And then we'll get into our meditation. Yep, I'm getting over a sickness. Yep. And let's turn to Psalm 1. Let's just read Psalm 1. This is the word of God. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and his leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. All right, that's Psalms 1. Interesting that this is how the Psalms, or as some people call it the Psalter, how it opens. It opens with this song. Blessed is the man. Now one thing that's interesting about the Psalms to me is that what are Psalms? Another way of saying Psalms is songs, right? And it's an interesting thing about a song is a song is meant to be sung. It is music. And so what we could say is that a large part of God's word is simply music. And that's interesting because there's not really, there's nothing like that in the world. And let's just think about the fact that part of God's word is meant to be set to music. It's meant to be sung. So what is music and what's special about music? What do you think is special about music? Hmm? Uh, okay, music could definitely have, words can be important to music, but does all music have words? No, are there forms of music without words? What kind of music doesn't have words? Jazz doesn't have music, doesn't have words. Yep, yep, some classical music, some symphonies, right? So all music doesn't necessarily have words, but a lots of it does, right? What's, what's interesting, melody is a part of music. What's a melody? Tell me what is melody. Okay, most definable part of a song. All right. So songs have a melody. What else is interesting about music? What is that? Okay, so sometimes music is relaxing. Is it always relaxing? Okay, but it does speak to something about music. She said calming. What is what does music do, though? Okay, music can inspire you. Yeah, music connects to us spiritually in some kind of way that we don't fully understand, right? Think of it this way. You ever heard a song and it made you sad? Some songs, just the way the melody sounds, no words, it could sound like a happy song. Some songs can sound like an angry song. Some sounds can sound like a thoughtful song. There's all kind of things, but the weird thing about music is that it evokes emotion just by the way the song sounds. I like to call it the vibe of the song, right? You ever heard a song? You're like, ooh, I don't know. He could be saying something crazy, but I like how it sounds, right? I remember when we was young, people used to say, I like the beat of the song. I don't know what he's saying, but I like the beat. People used to say that a lot, right? Yep, they still say it. What it means is you might hear a song and, hey, he might be rapping about pimps and hoes, right? But you might like how it sounds because 
it's got a nice sound to it, right? So you can enjoy the sound, but his words could be wicked, right? <laughs> but it's something about music that touches us inside, deep inside. Here's another thing. Songs are something that is written by God. You know there's songs that God wrote. Right? I'm not talking about the Psalms themselves because we don't think that God wrote these songs in the sense other than the sense that he inspired them. But you remember that God gave Moses a song. He said, hey, write this song down. So God made songs. So songs are important because they communicate something deep in our soul. Now, what's special about the Psalms are that the Psalms combine music and they combine a deep understanding that comes only from Scripture. So you not only get this music, which the music may be lost, right? But we also get this deep thought that goes in. One thing that usually happens with music is you don't normally put what we call prose to music, right? Think of it this way. You normally don't read 1 Corinthians 1 and put that to music. You normally put poetry to music. So music inspires poetry. Music inspires us to be poetic. Music inspires other art. One thing that I loved about video games when I was younger is you hardly ever play a video game and there's not some music playing. Music inspires other art. You put a play, it's good. You put music to it, it's really good, right? You watch a movie and it's a good movie, a good scene, good acting. But you put that music in it, dun da 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 Right? All of a sudden, it's a memorable scene. And you might remember the music even more than you might remember the scene. So, music is important. And Psalms 1 is musical. It's poetic. The poetic thing about it is, you see this kind of progression. It's musical in its progression. Look what it says. Blessed is the man who walks, not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the law of the scoffers. Poetic, right? What are we doing? We're going from walking to standing to sitting. Now, you could be real intellectual about it. You could talk about how the guy goes from standing, and maybe that has, has to do with how you slip into sin, right? Maybe you're walking along with sin, and that's just a casual relationship, and then maybe you're standing next to sin, and that, you're hanging with sin, and that's a little bad. Now you're sitting with sin, and now you're you know, communing with sin. But however you want to look at it, it is a poetic progression, right? We went from walking to standing to sitting. And look at the different ways he describes wicked people. Counsel of the wicked, way of sinners, seat of scoffers. Well, one thing about poetry is that sometimes it is just a way of communicating the same thing in multiple ways. Look at verse 2. This is what we call reflectionism, right? And what it means is, it's a deep way of poetry, but what it means is the first part of the verse means the same thing as the second part of the verse. And they amplify each other. It's really cool if you look at it this way. So you can say, what does it mean to delight in the law of the Lord? Well, it means that he meditates on his law day and night. What it means to meditate on his law day and night? Well, it means that your delight is in the law of the Lord. You see how the two phrases, they explain each other, right? That's poetry. That's poetry. Here's another form of poetry, image. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. Can you imagine that? 
Right? This is not something that's meant to just be explained. I wonder what a tree is like. No, you're supposed to imagine this big rooted tree. Maybe it's so big you can't, it's not realistic anymore. But it's your mind, right? Music evokes an image in your mind. It paints a picture in her mind, right? And the picture that's in her mind might be a slightly different tree that's in mine. But whatever it is, there's a tree. And it's planted by streams of water. And what we know about streams of water, doesn't it just seem like in our mind, that's where a tree should be? That's what music does. It makes you think that's what it should be like, right? You hear a love song, you say to yourself, that's how our romance should be. You hear this song, you say, I should be like a tree. And it just makes sense that a tree should be planted by water because trees need water, right? It yields this fruit in a season. We just think about luscious fruit just hanging down, right? It's like a, a, a commercial. The leaf does not wither, and all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. It's a music video. It went from a tree, this shining tree, and all of a sudden it went to somebody's hand, and you saw some dust, and somebody went, and it blew away. Then there's another progression. But the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Wicked, judgment, sinners, congregation of the righteous. There's a contrast, right? For the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Contrast. Got a fork in the road, as they call it. Righteousness, wickedness, you pick. The way that I look at this psalm, it seems to me like verse 1 and 2 and 5 and 6 are kind of combination verse courses. They're similar to each other. And verse 3 and 4 is like a bridge, just a different part right there. And as you just hear this psalm, what is the thought that he's conveying to us? Here's the thought. Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. And if you delight in the law of the Lord, the Lord will plant you. And just like a tree doesn't plant itself, the Lord will plant you. And he will sustain you. Just like a tree is planted by streams of water. And he will make a path for you. And so really what you could say is, this psalm is about righteousness, but it's also about destiny. Isn't it? It's like God is saying, I want you to see, I got a plan for you. I got a plan for the tree. I got a plan for the road. I got a plan for you. All these are just analogies for the path that I set for you. Conversely, in this psalm, and not subtly hidden, is the way of the wicked. Wickedness associated with power. Wickedness associated with chaff. And wickedness associated with going the wrong way. Right? So it's a blessing to just get in God's word. Psalms 1. So let's go into our meditation. close up the book of Hebrews today 
We'll start at verse 17. It says there, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you to more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought, a, who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes again. Greet all your leaders and all the saints, those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with you all. What are the three keys of Hebrews? Anybody remember the three keys? Jesus? Three ages? And faith, yep. Belief, faith, same thing. Right? And he starts off this passage, he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. What is he talking about there? Who are your leaders? Okay, your parents. That that's a good leader, but he's not speaking to that, but that's a good guess. Who are the leaders? spiritual leaders like pastors right your pastors your deacons your teachers right these are your leaders and submit to them obey your leaders and submit to them now obeying and submitting are not popular terms um, these are terms that tend to get people's backs up and I get that you know why I get people's backs up because people are some stubborn fools hey man praise God um but the problem is, is that it goes against our nature to submit to somebody else. Right? It goes against our nature to obey. But he says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who would have to give an account. Now, when he talks about giving an account, he's talking about it in two ways. One is, they're going to have to give an account on you. <laughs> they got to give a report, right? Got to write down to the Lord. Hey, how Jacqueline doing? Jacqueline is there like this, right? So I'm like, hey, don't, don't. He's saying, hey, don't do it. He's gonna give you a bad grade. Come on now. But the other one he's saying is, you're making it hard for them to give an account because they have to answer me what I they've done with you. And he's gonna be like, okay, Brian, what you doing about Sister Charmaine? Like, oh, Lord, I, she was dodging my phone calls. Did you try to visit? Are you praying for her? Well, she was making it hard. Well, listen, that's your person. And I'm saying, if Charmone was so difficult, right? But you got to obey your leaders in the Lord. Make it not a trouble to them. Now, Charmone don't do that, praise God. They say, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that will be of no advantage to you. And pray for us. 
For we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. You're one of the things that I could just thank God for our leadership team is this. We can act with clear conscience. We can get up in front of you. We can say that we are operating to do things at a church. We're not scamming nobody. We ain't digging our hands in an offering place. We're not doing anything like that. We hold each other accountable. We hold other leaders of other churches accountable. Don't necessarily always make us the most friends, but it does buy us a clear conscience with God. That it does. And that I can vouch for. I get to sleep well at night knowing how I behave in the church. And that to me is, is, is the point, right? I can go and say, you know, God, I seen your warning that you gave to other leaders and they didn't listen, but I saw your warning and I listened. I don't want to end up like this. Honorably in all things. What does it mean to act honorably? Well, one thing I think about acting honorably is your intentions are known. See, if you're honorable and you want to date somebody's daughter, you tell them, I want to date your daughter. I'm not trying to do nothing dirty. I'm looking for a wife. I ain't got nothing to be ashamed of, right? What's the phrase? No shame in my game. Right? When you doing right, there ain't no shame in your game. You sitting there and say, hey, what you come here for me, brother? I came here to tell you what God told you. You're doing wrong. Hey, brother, what you doing up there? I'm telling the truth. My boss would be like, you got something to say? I'm like, hey, if I had something to say, I'd say it. You don't have to worry about me. I'm going to tell the truth. And he says, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Right, this is an oath, right? You can almost see this. As if, the, if the Bible was magic, this is a spell, right? Equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We pray that the God who raised Jesus use that same power to equip you. Not that you just be equipped so you could just have a lot of weapons, but that you could do the things that God called you to do. But here's the meditation point, okay? What did God call you to do? What's your purpose? What purpose did God give you? I think a lot of people struggle with that. And until you find your purpose, you're going to drift and be aimless. But when you do find your purpose, you know what you're supposed to do with your day. Imagine a person who doesn't have a job. We was joking about this at work. A person who don't know about no job, they don't even know what day of the week it is. And they don't care. You'd be like, hey man, how you doing this Monday? Oh, I thought it was Thursday. Stop. That means you don't leave the house, you don't have no appointments, you don't have nothing regular to do. That's not a way to live. But if you got a purpose, you know even what minute it is, right? Ooh, I need to get this done. Now that's stressful. To have a purpose is stressful, to be honest. Right? I got a sermon I'm preparing this Sunday. Guess what? I get stressed a little bit because I have to have certain progress I got to make. I know how close I'm getting to getting it done, right? Right? My wife's going to be at Charmone's thing. Charmone's going to be taking all day. I got to watch these boys. She's going to have them over there painting for hours, boy. I tell you. I can't be doing that on no Saturday. Not before a sermon. Charmone let them go, right? But I know that, right? 
I know that I got something to do. I got a purpose. I got a purpose, so now I know what to do. Right? Riley got that look on her face. She's like, I got stuff to do. I can't be wasting time with you all day. Don't you be saying that to people sometimes? Yeah, you be saying that. She be looking at people like, you can't be wasting my time all day. You ain't going to talk me my ear off, not you. I got places to be. When you got something to do, you can't be wasting time with everybody, right? What does God's purpose do? It does put time constraints on us, which make us feel stressed sometimes, make us feel rushed. But what it does is it makes us have a purpose. Here's what I want you to do. When you feel stressed, take a moment and thank God that you have the privilege of feeling stressed. You know why you feel stressed? Because you have the privilege of actually doing something that matters. That's the only reason that you will feel stressed. Why are you rushing in your house? Because you got somewhere to be. There's other people that don't have nowhere to be. So guess what? They're not stressed. But they also have no purpose. And they may seem envious. Are you like, man, that person don't got to do nothing. Look how he just relaxing. Is that so great? Is that so great? It's good to have a purpose. It's good to accomplish something. It's good to have somewhere to be. My dad always used to say this when we was younger. Walk like you got somewhere to be. Right? Act like you got something to do, even if you don't. I'm going to find something. I mean, <clears throat> we ain't going to get into that. Don't find nothing for me to do, Dad. Don't do that. But he would say that, right? Act like you got something to do. Then he says, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation. Here's the thing. You do have to bear with God's word. Here's the thing about true preaching of God's word. It's not always pleasant, but it's always good. You got to bear with it and let it have its effective work on you. And ultimately, if you go through this book, you'll see three keys. We're going to start a new book next week. But the three keys are three ages. This book should challenge you to learn your Old Testament. It really should, because you need to understand what the three ages are. He makes a lot of references to the Old Testament. Guess what? If you try to read this book, or if you try to read Revelations, and you don't know the Old Testament well, you're going to get lost. Learn your Old Testament. This book should challenge you to know who Jesus is, which will challenge you to understand the meaning of the Gospels. Here's a challenge that I put for you for the Gospels. And this is a weird challenge, but hear it out. Here's the weird challenge. Ask yourself this. Did God put the Gospels together so that you could learn the truth about the facts of the situation that Jesus lived through? Or did God give you the Gospel because the words themselves are inspired? Here's another way of asking that question. How many times have you heard, it's a Gospel so we can get four different viewpoints and that way get a clear picture of what happened? That's wrong. Dead. Each book is God's word. And God is saying something in each of those four books. And whatever he included in those books, that's all that he wanted us to know. If he didn't include information in one book, it's not like it's missing in that book. No, it's not missing. The author is doing something. 
I would challenge you, if you go through one gospel, don't try to turn to another. Just focus on that gospel. Treat it as the full form of God's word. Don't treat it as a newspaper article. I hear people saying, I go to Fox and I go to CNN. That's not the gospels. Because guess what? The gospels don't have a slant. They're just true. And then this book challenges you most earnestly to believe. And the only way you can prove you believe is if you obey. So this last part is really important to that key, isn't it? Obey your leaders in the Lord. If you really have faith that this is God's church and God is calling you to this church and your purpose in this church, obey the leaders of this church. Have faith in the Lord and express that through your obedience. And that's the book of Hebrews, amen?